We're coming from one of the greatest historical events in history. We're coming from a parasha that describes to us in detail the reason for the entire creation of everything in the world. Bishvil HaTorah Ubishvil Yisrael Nikra Reshit Bereshit Bara Elohim Why did he create a world? What was the purpose for the creation of everything? The purpose was only and simply so that the Jewish people would accept the Torah by Har Sinai. Keep the Torah and live a Torah lifestyle, a God-fearing Jew. And that's the parasha we're coming from. And could you imagine this? You have a moment in history. Moshe Rabbeinu goes up to Har Sinai. Bore Olam opens the heavens. Hashem comes down with millions, maybe trillions of angels. And He comes down on the mountain. And the people are actually able to see Hashem. They're able to hear His voice. And if that's not enough, we take a look at the Ten Commandments. The very first two of the top ten. The first two was said by none other than Hashem Himself. Not by Moshe. Hashem was the one that said, Anochi Hashem Elokecha. Hashem was the one who said to the Jewish people, Lo Yielecha, that you should not have any other gods other than Bore Olam. So, you know, it's one thing to be this unbelievable godly revelation, but to be able to see God, to be able to hear Him. Hashem opened up the heavens and He told the Jewish people, Look up. I'm going to kind of, like we say in a playwriting language, we're going to pull away the curtain and you're going to see everything behind the scenes. So Hashem pulls away the curtain of heaven and He allows them to look up and see all the way until Kiseh HaKavod. And Hashem says to the Jewish people, look, there's nothing up there other than me. So if you ever doubted who's running the show, if you ever doubted that maybe there's another force or another power that has some sort of control in the world, let's set this, the record straight right now. He opens up the heavens and allows them to see straight to Kiseh Kavod. There's only Hashem and nothing else and no one else. He's the only one in control. He's the only one running the world. Anochi. One. Hashem Elokecha. There's only one Hashem. When he said to them those words, Anochi Hashem Elokecha, the Midrash tells us that the Jewish people, upon hearing God's voice, they shot back 12 miles. Yud Bet Mil. 12 miles. And they left the world. Hashem had to bring the Jewish people back to, the, to Har Sinai. And He had to do Tichiyat HaMetim. He had to revive them. And give them their life back. And then, round two. He went then and said the second of the Debrot. Lo Yelecha. You know what happened? The same thing. They shot back 12 miles. They died. Hashem had to go and revive them. Bring them back to the mountain, says the Midrash. And from this point on, Hashem said, Moshe Rabbeinu, I'm giving the mic over to you. You're going to take over from this point. From this point on, number 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, was at that point said over by Moshe Rabbeinu to the Jewish people. 
What a revelation. Ladies, you want to hear something? Everything I just described and more, you were there. You don't remember? But we were there. We witnessed it step by step. And that was the greatest godly revelation that the world has ever seen, ever since. And maybe, who knows, until the day that Mashiach comes. And that's why I want to ask you a question. We take a look at the end of the parasha. And I'll be honest with you, the question I'm about to ask you now, I had to go all the way to Israel last week to get an answer for. I'm happy you came this week. Because I, I was really holding this to want to be able to give this over. The Pasuk says in Maftir, at the end of the parasha, Matan Torah, Vayomer Hashem el Moshe, Ko Tomar el Bnei Israel. God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, please go tell the Jewish people the following. Atem re'item, you saw with your human eyes, ki min dibarti imachem, you saw me. You saw me on Har Sinai, you saw that I spoke to you from heaven, you heard my voice, you saw Bore Olam, you saw the angels. What an amazing revelation! Says Hashem to Moshe Rabbeinu, remind them, tell them. They saw me, they heard me by Har Sinai. Now ladies, I want to ask you something. We were all by Har Sinai. Could you imagine such a revelation? You're standing there in front of God. Trillions of angels. We're talking about an array that human eyes have never seen. He begins to speak. We shoot back 12 miles. He has to revive us. Do you think anyone's going to ever forget that? Do we really need another pasuk all the way at the end of the parasha for God specifically to bring back focus and to tell Moshe Rabbeinu, hey, remind them, tell them. Remind them, you saw me, you heard me. We're not going to forget. Believe me. A spectacle like that, we're not going to forget. So why then at the end of the parasha do we have to kind of refocus and bring back the whole idea that Hashem has to specifically point out, Moshe, tell the people, they saw me, they heard me. What's this purpose? We'll never forget. I want to give you an amazing answer. This past week, I was lucky enough to be able to make it with my wife and my kids to Eretz Israel for midwinter vacation. And I want to tell you something about Israel. I want to tell you that this vacation is one of those vacations that not only doesn't wear off, but it gets better, like an old wine, every time you go back again and again and again. And I want to tell you something else. Unlike other vacations, that once you saw the island once, you get a little bit tired, and then you want to find out next year where the whole dinya is deciding to go, the new place, the new hot spot, the new place, the new wow, the new cruise, show, you know. This place never grows old. This place doesn't need some sort of a bigger and better. It gets better the more you go. You find something about Israel the next time up that you just didn't experience the last time. 
And me and my family, we kind of make like even a, a thing out of it. We, we kind of joke with each other. When we go to Israel, we don't go cold call. There's no such thing. We understand that when you go to Eretz Yisrael, you need a zechut. You know how many people had plans to go to Israel on different times and different occasions and the plans just didn't work out? I know quite a few of them. I know one great man by the name of Moshe Rabbeinu that prayed 515 tefillot just to enter the land. And Hashem said, not yet. He didn't say no. He said, not yet. When Mashiach comes, he'll come in. But not yet. I know the Vilna Gaon. The Vilna Gaon, the great Gaon from Vilna. He actually boarded the ship that was about to leave to Israel. And for some reason, the captain announces that something about the ship wasn't seaworthy. And they canceled the trip. And the Vilna Gaon turns to his students and says, It's not the ship that's not seaworthy. It's me. I didn't have the zechut yet to be invited to go to Israel. That's right. You've got to be on the guest list. You need to be invited by Yerushalayim Merakodesh. You need to be invited by Eretz Yisrael. And that's why when the opportunity comes, don't squander it. Don't think, heck, it's like any place else. Okay, I decided to go there. So I, No, it's not like that. Over here, even if you decide to go, you don't necessarily end up getting there. You really have to have a zechut to get there. And that's where every year, before I sit down with my wife and talk to her about maybe a possibility of a plan to go midwinter vacation, I pray my heart out. Number one, for my wife. But number two, to ask her, please, you know, give us the opportunity. We want to be on the guest list again this year. We want to go this year. We want to be able to have the zechut to get there. You need a zechut to get to Israel. So I prayed hard. And Borei Olam, his great Rahmanut, his mercy that he showed us, he did with us chesed, and he allowed me and my wife and my son to be able to pick up and go this past midwinter vacation. And it was amazing. I have no other words to tell you. I realized something. You know, when you finish a Gemara, you, know, you see all these beautiful Gemarot here on the wall. So when you finish a Masechet, they make a siyum, right? Do you know that there's these really beautiful words that the guy that finishes the entire Gemara, he says upon completion of the Masechet, the words you say on the Siyum is Hadran Alach Masechet so-and-so, the Hadrach Alan. These are very romantic words. These are very heartfelt words. You know what these words mean? It's Aramaic. It's not Hebrew. Hadran Alach Masechet so-and-so. I will return to you Mesechet so-and-so. Hadrach alan. And I would like you to return on to me as well. That's a loving expression. I will keep coming back to you. And you'll keep coming back to me. I'll keep coming to you and you'll keep inviting me. And I felt that way with Israel. I felt that way with Eretz Israel. That the more we go back to it, the more it's an expression of love. Because if we didn't love it that much... We wouldn't constantly be going back to it. And she rewards us. I want to tell you something. I found out that the more you love Eretz Yisrael, the more Eretz Yisrael shows you love when you're there. Amazing things happen. There are people that go and see Israel, and there are people that experience Eretz Yisrael, and those are two different places. 
It depends on your bond and your relationship with the place. You know, there are people out there that, hey, it's a free ticket. Uh, you know, let's go on birthright. They don't see Eretz Israel. They might stumble on Israel. They'll take him to the Golan and show him the Prachim Eziofi. And then they'll make their way back to Tel Aviv. It, that's what you brought him here for? They could have seen that in Manhattan, for heaven's sake. What did you bring him to the Holy Land for that? Come on! No, 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 don't worry, Rabbi. The last Shabbat, the 24 hours before we leave and come back to America, we bring him to Jerusalem. We give him five minutes by the stones, by the kotem. Hazaku Baruch. That's not called seeing Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael. I'll never forget the first time we went with my daughter Adina when she was a little, little girl, little baby. The first time I, not for me, but for my kids. I remember telling her before the trip, we're going to go to see Hashem's house. What do you tell a four-year-old? We're going to go see Hashem's house. And she got so excited. Wow, we're going to see Hashem's house. I said, you'll see. We're going to go to the Kotel. I'm going to show you the walls of Hashem's house and the stones. And you're going to be able to put your hand on the stones. And you're going to be able to talk to Hashem. And you can knock on the stones and maybe he'll open the door. You can do so much. I'll never forget right when we landed that first time, my sweet little daughter, she pops out of her seat, looks out the window as the plane lands, and loud voice, she says to me, Abba, I'm looking, but I don't see Hashem's house. There was an older Mizrahi guy who was sitting, Kipasruga, sitting right behind us. He looked at his wife and he said, did you hear what that girl said? She's looking for Hashem's house. The guy got so emotional. He said, wow, look at that, the purity. But that's the way we come to Eretz Yisrael. And that's what we bring home. We got to bring home a piece of that amazing Kiddushah so that we can hold on to it. People bring home different things on vacations. Different things, postcards, different colors, you know. But sometimes we can bring home a little Kiddushah because we need it desperately. This past trip to Eretz Yisrael was something amazing. Like every time we go, we look for something new to do. No, no, we're not the type of people that just go to Israel and once we're there decide, okay, what are we doing this morning? No, no, no. The time there is too short. And it goes so fast, like the money. It goes so quick. It flies. And before you know it, you blink and it's practically over. And you're already on your way back. And you say, oh man, I should have made a, you know, I should have stayed longer. Every time we make an itinerary. I sit down with my wife and kids. It's always a Saturday night before the big trip. And we make an itinerary. And we literally write out day by day by day by day. What are we doing this day? What are we doing this day? What are we doing this day? Okay, we still have the afternoon open. What are we going to fit in the afternoon? What are we going to do in the evening? I mean, we have it right down to the restaurants. So that every minute is used well. And of course, on an itinerary, you got to find something new to do this trip that we never did before. And every year we find something special, something new. Two years ago, when we went for the bar mitzvah, we ended up going to a place called Shiloh, which was the, you know, the uh, place of the Mishkan. And they showed us the spot that the Mishkan sat on for 440 years. Could you imagine that? 
Could you imagine standing on the ground of the Mishkan where the Kodesh HaKodashim was right there and the Aron was actually there and you're standing on the spot? That was the spot of the famous story of Hannah and Eli HaKohen who she came there barren, crying, praying to want to have a child after many years of being childless. And all the, all the halachot and all the laws of prayer we learned out from this woman, Hannah. So can you imagine going back to the spot where prayer was born? The birth of tefillah was on this dirt. Could you imagine the type of tefillah that go up from there when you pray on that spot? That, that, that's something, that's, that's a take home. That's something wow. Every time we look for something else, something new that we've never done before. Well, let me tell you a little bit about this time. And then you'll understand where it's going to come back to the big opening question in the Pasuk that we're working on here. So it's 2.30 in the morning on the second night that we're there. In the middle of the night, my wife wakes up and she says to me, I am so thirsty. I don't know what's going on. I need something to drink. Like, like really now? I said, okay. Uh, I think it's the jet lag. Because they tell me that jet lag is associated somehow or other with being... uh, dehydrated. So they claim if you drink a lot, you could end up cutting down the jet lag time by like half. So I said, you see, I told you, drink, 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 your jet lag. She says, okay, uh, just give me something to drink. So, as a good husband, there in the hotel room, quickly I spotted the complimentary bottle of water that came with the hotel room. And I said, here, here's a bottle of water. No, I don't want the Israeli water, the water in Israel, the last time I drank it, I got sick. I said, okay, okay. All right, so honey, what do you want? Tell me. Now, seven ishma, I'll do it. What, 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 do you, what is it that you want to drink? So I want a Coke Zero. I said, okay, no problem. So, a little bit foolish. Boy, did I learn my lesson. I made my way over to the fridge in the room, not knowing what I'm about to enter. And I opened the door to the fridge, and boy, was that thing stacked up nicely. I open the fridge, and they have every can, of co- every can of soda you can imagine. And on top of that, they had beer, and on top of that, they had everything else. So I grab the first can of Coke, because maybe the Coke Zero's in the back, and I start pulling out the cans. And every time I pull out another can, I hear beep, beep. I'm thinking to myself, what in the world is that beep? I didn't know that I was in the middle of an easy pass process. As I was pulling out, the, I, I emptied out the entire fridge looking for a can of Coke Zero. And every time I'm pulling out another can, beep, 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 beep. I'm asking my wife, what's that beep? I don't know. I emptied out the entire fridge. They had ginger ale, they had Coke, they had Sprite. They did not have Coke Zero. All right. I said, honey, there's no, you know, there's no Coke Zero. Maybe, maybe you want a Sprite. No, I, I, want a Coke. I don't want the sugar. Mm. So I put everything back in. It's funny, when you put it back in, Maffy beep. There's no beeps. There's, they only beep on the way out. <laughs> they don't beep on the way in. Boy, did I find out what that beep was when we checked out at a hotel at the end of the trip. I come downstairs and we're checking out. And all of a sudden, I look at the bill and it's almost quadruple from what I originally thought it was going to be. And I said, how in the world did that happen? I said, what's going on here? I didn't even use the valet. What's the deal? 
And they said, what do you mean? Well, uh, you had a party in your room. You must have had, uh, you know, 45 drinks, it says, over the... Uh... I said, what are you talking about? We didn't have one drink. I was looking for a Coke Zero, but, you know, they didn't have it. They said, well, but you took the stuff out of the fridge. I said, yeah. And I put them back in. What's the problem? They actually had to go with me upstairs to the room, and we had to take a head count. All right, let's see if everybody's here. And we went through can after can after can, and they actually had a count all day. And I couldn't believe it. They wanted to charge me five bucks a can. Till finally, oh, Baruch Hashem, we didn't lose everybody. Any, everybody was there, the bus was full. <laughs> Baruch Hashem, after the head count, everyone was there, the fridge was guy I said, please, could you do me a favor now and wipe off? They wiped off the bill. But I turned to my wife, there's no Coke Zero. She says, I, I need something. I'm telling you, I need something to drink. All right. So I went outside looking for one of those, you know, 24-6 makolets, the ones that you only find in Israel. And I'm walking down this little side street. Now, we, stood, we stayed by the Herbert Samuel, beautiful hotel, really nice, new place. Actually, it's uh, someone from the community that uh, runs it, that owns it. And uh, we really enjoyed the place. And the location there is like, really, wow, you're in Kikar Tzion. Now, as a rabbi, I'm not exactly the biggest advocate for the area. I'm not the person that really enjoys the Ben Yehuda area, which is smack in the middle of the whole thing. But listen, for my wife it was great, for the location it was great. Every morning I woke up Vatikin, I was able to walk to the hotel, which is a great benefit. Like this, I have to take out the car and so on. Awesome. So I'm walking down one of those little side streets right off of Ben Yehuda, and I'm looking for the Makolet, and sure enough, I see a Makolet with a big sign, 24-6. I love it, only in Israel. Could you have a place that with a big sign? It says 24-6 Makolet. I actually took a picture of it, I loved it. I sent it out, I said, look at this, 24-6. It wasn't Sunday that they were off either. It was great. As I'm coming down the block, we're talking about 2.30 in the morning. I look up and I see these three Israeli guys. They must have been 19, 20 years old. And they're barreling down the block right at me. They're drunk, mastul, 110%. Drunk, stone drunk. I was able to smell the whiskey coming down the block with them. And they look at each other. And then they see me. And they point to me. And I said, holy. Come on, Bore Olam, not here, not now. Is it Israel? Come on, this is not, you know, in Benzener somewhere with a bunch of Italians. Come on, this is, I mean, Yerushalayim, Kodesh. Come on. Bore Olam, Shluchem Mitzvah, Enani Zakin. You know, I'm, I'm going to do a mitzvah here. I'm, I'm getting my wife a can of Coke Zero. Please, don't get me mugged now in Jerusalem. That's a lousy story to come home with. You know, this is not the experience that we have. And they're pointing at me and pointing at me. And suddenly they bum rush me. They start running right at me. And these guys were really drunk. So when I say they were running, they were running this way and they were running that way. And they were coming around the corner, bouncing off the sides of a few cars, taking a few side mirrors with them. But they come charging right up to me. And all three jump on me at once. Now, I, I, I was backpedaling because I wasn't sure what they were up to. On one hand, they're drunk out of their minds. But on the other hand, they're about to tackle me. Three guys. So I didn't know what to do. I jumped back to kind of try to defend myself because I'm a little bit older than those years. And all of a sudden, this guy puts his 
slobbering whiskey lips right into my ear and he smothers me and screams, Rabbi, tagid lanu ezedvar Torah. I said, oh my gosh, are you joking me? Is that what this is about? You mean, you're not mugging me? I mean, I can, I can get the Coke Zero and... Rabbi, tagid lanu ezedvar Torah. I said, Mechuz, <laughs> anything you want. I'll give you Dvar Torah. That's what this is about. Now these guys, due to the fact that they were so drunk, they lost their concept of distance. You know, when you talk to people, there is something called a certain etiquette of distance. They were like this in my face. One face was here. One face was here. So this guy's nose was in my ear. This guy's nose was against my nose. And the other guy, literally, and, they, and we're doing like a football huddle. Right? It's the day after the Super Bowl. We're doing a football huddle and they're screaming, holding on to me and each other. And the riha was unbelievable. So I turned and I said, I'll tell you about Torah. I'm thinking to myself, you believe this? I'm standing here in a side street in Jerusalem, 2.30 in the morning with three drunks, and they're asking me for a Dvar Torah. Ah, where's Rico when you need him? Let's tape this one. I turned to the guy and I said, I'm going to tell you a Dvar Torah. He says, Lola, Lola, Rabbi. He tells me, I don't want you to tell me just a Dvar Torah. I want you to answer me my she'elah, my question that I have on Torah. And the other two guys, the other two drunks, they start looking at each other. Oh, this guy had, they told me this guy has a she'elah. He is Rabbanim. He is Datim. He is Hasidim. Sounded like uh, some Hat Torah. He is, and nobody gave him an answer. I said, wow. Now I'm getting nervous, even from a drunk. If nobody had an answer to this one, I don't know if I'll be able to answer. La, la, la. Rabbi. Tell him an answer. I said, okay. Ma'ashe'ela. So the guy looks at me and he says to me, Prove to me that there's a God. And the other two guys, they're high-fiving themselves and elbowing themselves. I said to him, you don't believe that there's a God? He says, no, I believe. I believe there's a God. In my heart, he tells me, I believe there's a God. But I want you to prove it. I want proof. Okay. I told him, if you want proof, I have two proofs. And they're both solid as iron. And I told him, I'll be mochiachet to you with such a hochacha, with such a proof that you yourself will dance with me when you hear this. He says, can? I say, yeah. He says, because you know what everybody else told me, he tells me. I went to this rabbi, he told me, emuna bitachon. I went to this guy, religious guy, emuna bitachon. Even my bendod, even my uh, family member, he's dati. Same thing. He told me the same thing. I said, okay, I'm going to show you. I looked at the guy and I asked him, Ata Svaradi Ashkenazi? He says, Ani Svaradi? I said, okay, very nice. 
אתה אוהב את אבא שלך? Do you love your father? He says, מאוד, אני מת על אבא שלי, מת על אבא שלי, I love him. Oh, beautiful. I said, let me ask you, if somebody would start up with your father or embarrass your father, would you be up in arms? Would you, would you go out to defend your... מה? אבא שלי? If somebody would start with my father, all of a sudden the guy starts naming up, אני ירוג אותו, אני אחנק אותו, אני... And he starts listing me the עשרה הרוגי בדין, you know, the סקילה, שרפה, הרג וחנק, he goes, אבא שלי? My father to me is everything. I said, so if your father would tell you something, you would believe it. מאחוז. Good. I told him, I want to tell you something. And I want you to open your hearts, ladies, I want you to hear this. I turned to this guy and I said to him, you might not know this, but every time you close your eyes and question your truth, to want to know, do we really have the truth? Maybe somebody else out there has the emet. How do we know we're the ones with the truth? How do we know we're the ones that have the right religion, the right Hashem, Kivyachot, even talk that way? How do we know it's us? And the answer is a tremendous answer. It's an answer that Hashem himself gave in this week's parasha. And the answer is that every other religion in the world, its source is based on the testimony of one person. One person. One person, one story. Christianity is based on one person. Islam, one person. Now, we all know in the Torah that the testimony of one person does not hold up in a court of law. We know in order for anything to be based as real and true that you can build on to believe, you need at least a testimony of two. I turned to this boy and said to him, buddy, you might not know this, but every other religion out there that claims that they have the real God, based on the testimony of one guy, he could have been a liar, he could have been sketched, someone could have pulled something on him, he could have been smoking that night, who knows? This is the only religion, our religion, Klal Yisrael, that our godly revelation was based on three million eyewitnesses. And that was the Har Sinai revelation. By Har Sinai, there were three million Jews, men, women, and children, who literally saw Hashem, who literally heard His voice. They heard the first, Anochi Hashem Elokecha, from Hashem. The second, Lo Yelecha, from Hashem. You can sketch one person, five people, ten people. You can trick, I don't know how many people. You can't trick three million eyewitnesses. And what they saw made such an indelible pressure on them. That Hashem at the end of the parasha, now you're going to understand the pasuk and its beauty. When Hashem says, Vayomer Hashem el Moshe, listen Moshe, I know that one day Rabbi Duvi is going to be walking in the back streets at 2.30 in the morning in Jerusalem and he's going to be slobbered by three drunks. And those three drunks are three nishamot. And they're beautiful nishamot. And they're going to be looking for me. And they're going to come to him. They're going to say, Rabbi, tochiachli, prove to me that we have the truth. Prove to me that there is a God. Hashem says, I know that's coming. And there are going to be many people that are going to ask this question. How do, know, how do you know you're right? How do, maybe someone else out there is right. And the answer is this pasuk. The answer is, Vayomer Hashem el Moshe. 
Kotomar el Bene Israel. Atem item, you saw with your eyes. Three million eyewitnesses saw with their eyes. Kimena shamaim dibarti imachem, that I spoke to you from heaven, I peered in front of you from heaven, you saw me, you heard me, you experienced me, you felt me, you shot back 12 miles, I brought you back. What an experience. Three million eyewitnesses. You know why he told them this pasuk? Not to remember the revelation, you can't forget that, but to give it down, to share it. Every father that was there and every mother that was there was going to tell their kids what they saw. And they were going to tell their kids what they saw. And every Rebbe that was there was going to tell his Talmud what he saw. And it's going to be in a magnificent, unbroken chain from generation to generation, handed down from father to son, from mother to daughter, what they saw, three million eyewitnesses by Har Sinai. We saw Hashem. We heard His voice. We got the Torah, he's emet, he's real, he's here with us, and the Torah's emet, Moshe's emet, the Torah's emet, Klal Yisrael's emet, and look what he did, Hashem, in a brilliant, genius way. He put the truth in a very sec- sacred bond between a father and a son, a mother and a daughter. You know why? Because you might be spectac- skeptical about people out there, but when your father tells you something, you believe it. And Hashem knows that. And that's why the truth was going to be put in the bond of parents to children and parents to children because they know that my daddy told me this, my mother told me this, it's the truth. They wouldn't lie to me. And their father told them, and their father told them, and their father, and their mother told them, all the way up to the ones that stood there and witnessed this amazing revelation. And that is the hochacha, that we have the truth. And that is the hochacha that Klal Yisrael knows that the Torah is emet and Borei Olam is emet. When this kid heard this, he got so emotional that he turned to me and he said to me, how come nobody ever told me this? How come nobody ever said anything to me? All these years, someone should have said something. I said, Habibi, or Hashem, now you know you have the truth. He got so emotional that the guy started to cry. I don't know if it was the truth or it was the whiskey, but he blurted out crying, the kid. And he turns to me, he says to me, it's unbelievable. We really have the truth. He turns to me and says, Rega, Rabbi, you said you had a second proof. What's your second proof? I said to him, the first one wasn't good. No, the first one was great. But give me the second proof. I said, I'll tell you the second proof. The second proof is called Coke Zero. That's my second proof. The second proof. What are the chances that a rabbi is going to travel 6,000 miles from America to be up one night at 2.30 in the morning because his wife couldn't sleep because she was thirsty? to have every single type of can of something or other in that fridge while it's beep beeping except for the Coke Zero. To have to come out into the streets in some back street off of Ben Yehuda, an area I don't really hang out in, just to get her that can, to bump into you three drunks! For one of you to slobber over me and say, Rabbi Tochiachli, Shiyesh Elokim. If he brought me from 6,000 miles away 
to bump into you right here, right now, to tell you what I just told you, it's the biggest proof that he's real. Because the chances are maybe as good as a lottery. And he says, that's so dick. I'm America, he tells me. I said, yeah, therefore, make California. I said, no, May New York, oh, Brooklyn. I said, yes, I'm from Brooklyn. Yeah. He says, Rabbi, I love you. I'm I'm coming back with you to America. I said, oh my gosh. Look what a neshama is. Look what happens when someone lights them up. When someone activates it. Suddenly they find the truth they just don't know what to do with. And it's, you know, ladies, if I was telling you here some sort of a divrei Kabbalah or some sort of a hidden secret, it's a pasuk in the Torah. Hashem is screaming to us, remember what you saw with your eyes. Remember what you heard. Three million people. Because this is going to be the base of your faith and your belief that you have the truth. Nobody else. Everybody else is based on one guy. He could be a charlatan. He could be a sketch. He could be a scam artist. You don't base millions of people's belief on one guy. You know how many times people thought they saw things that they never saw? You know how many times people had dreams. They call me up in the middle of the night. Rabbi, I had a dream. Oh, you sound like Dr. Martin Luther King. I had a dream, Rabbi. I saw this and then I saw teeth and then my mother-in-law... Those are both bad sides. <laughs> he said, but you're going to base religions on that? But when you have three million people, you know you have the truth. It's an amazing thing. I had to go all the way there to bump into this kid. And that's the biggest proof, as I told him, that Borei Olam, he is mechin mitzadeh gaver. Like we say every morning, ha-mechin mitzadeh gaver. You prepare my footsteps before I even take it. You already know where you're sending me. You already know where I'm going. And you already know why. <laughs> we thought we decided where we're going or what we're doing or which way we turned or what street we took. No. It's unbelievable Borei Olam. His hashgacha on us. His love for us. The shmirah that he puts on us. The, 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 the loving closeness that he's there with us every step of the way. Watching us and guiding us if, if we want it. If we want the guidance, if we tune him out, obviously we're not going to feel it, we're not going to see it, we're not going to have it. But if you tune in and you start picking up your real messages, not those messages, the real messages, unbelievable what life suddenly turns into. It turns into a fulfilling step-by-step -step progress. It's a journey. And it's somebody that's navigating you and telling you, hey, pick up that kid. Let's see what's going to happen here. Look how I'm going to watch over you. Look how I'm going to protect you. Look how I'm going to do for you. And we spend the rest of our life just saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You're unbelievable, Hashem. Hashem, you're unbelievable. And your Eretz Yisrael is beautiful. And there's no other place to vacation other than Eretz Yisrael. The people there are beautiful. They're simple. They have no glitz about them. But they're very real because of that. They're not hiding behind an emptiness of an affluence that they're trying to show the people that they might have. Trying to keep up with what everyone else is doing. They live for the sake of quality on their closeness to Hashem. 
I went to the Kotel at 3 o'clock in the morning for Tikkun Hatzot, and it was packed. And I looked around at these people. Me, I'm on vacation. But them, this is day-to-day -day life. What are you guys doing here? When do you sleep? It's 3 o'clock in the morning. And I'm not talking about, don't think I'm talking here about big admorim or mikubalim that I bumped into. No, it was regular, simple balechanut, regular people. There was one guy there that had his, he still had his contractor belt on him with his tools. And he's up against the wall crying over Jerusalem at 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm looking at this guy. Buddy, you're a contractor, you give berachot. What are you? Regular, simple people. So many of them. I couldn't find parking by the Kotel at 3 o'clock in the morning. That's not normal. It's not normal. Simple people. I looked at these people. I said, I wish I could be like these simple people. They're sitting there and crying on the stones. Ad ana bechia umisped birushalayim. Takum terachem tzion tivnei chomot Yerushalayim. You have to hear these. They're just praying for, the, for Jerusalem to be rebuilt, for Borei Olam to come back to Klal Yisrael, to be able to have the Shekhinah, the Bet HaMikdash. I, you listen to these guys. And I say to myself, wow, I, I don't want to leave. I don't want to go. We belong here. We belong there. Just to feel it. And if we can't get there yet, although according to, you know, it's according to most of the Gidolim, I was zochet to go into Reb Chaim Kanievsky with my son. And as I'm sitting there, with, he turns to me and says to me, No! Why aren't you bringing the people already? You think you have so much time in America, he tells me. Why don't you bring the people? Bring the people to Eretz Yisrael. And I said, Harav, it's not that easy. Uh, it's not easy for me, my own family, let alone, you know, the people. He says, what do you mean? Tell them. That Eretz Yisrael is waiting for them. And then when they come to Eretz Yisrael, they see tremendous beracha. So I said to him, I don't know if I can bring them yet to live on the way of a full commitment, but definitely to tell people that every opportunity you have to visit, go. You get such a charge that that connection, at least you bring home with you, we continue to at least get our heads on straight and realize where we really do belong. And we get out of the whole hellwe of all the garbage and all the, the rat race of this one running to outdo that one and the cars and the houses. And you go there and it's silly. It's really silly. And you come back and say, well, what, what, what are we getting so worked up about? What do, we, what, what do we have and what do we don't have? What we have, we only have our wife, our kids, our families. That's what we have. Everything else is shtuyot. And when you go there, your head gets screwed back on normal. You're able to start seeing clearly again what's real and what's not. What matters and what doesn't matter. What's important and what's not important. And you start putting your priorities back straight. For that alone, it's worth the trip. You don't have to go to any psychiatrist. You, you go to Eretz Israel, everything's clear. And you come home and then we start rebuilding again. And we get a little bigger and a little better and a little closer to Hashem. I want to end off and just tell you something amazing. The people there are something, something special. There was a great Mikubal, a great Sadiq, by the name of Reb Nisim Moyal. He's from a city called Kiryat Gat. I got very close with him over the years.
because he was introduced to me by a friend of mine. His father, the name of the family is Arnstein from Belgium. Very close friend of mine. His father, the days when they used to live in Belgium, he ran the biggest antiquities auction house in Europe. Very rich, very wealthy people. The father comes to Israel to visit and they bring him to this rabbi, Reb Nisim Moyal. Reb Nisim Moyal looks at the father and he says to him, Mr. Arnstein, I'm making and starting a yeshiva. I need a school bus. Do you want to give me the 15,000 shekel to buy this used school bus? Mr. Arnstein looks at the rabbi and says, Rabbi, I, I, I just met you for two minutes. You, you expect me to just to heckel like this, pull out 15,000 shekel on a shalom aleichem, on a handshake? I just got to know you. I mean, let's talk for five minutes. Let me get to know you. Let's build a relationship. Just to write out a check like that, I mean, that's a big number. The rabbi says, oh, it's a big number. Aha. Uh-huh. So you think I only know you for two minutes. I know you for over 50 years. Mr. Arnstein looks at the rabbi and says, Rabbi, what are you talking about? This is my first time I ever entered the city of Kiryat Gat. This is the first time I met you. What are you talking about? He says, I'll tell you. When you were 11 years old, the rabbi tells Mr. Arnstein, when you were 11 years old, your family in Belgium one time went out to some resort and they went on this little vacation for a week by the beach. And you as a little boy at 11 years old, you went out into the water And suddenly, Mr. Arnstein's face goes white, white. He gets up and he says, how do you know that story? Nobody knows that story. The only one that knows that story is me and my mother, not even my father. How do you know that story? He says, I'll tell you. He says, do you know what happened to the end of that story? He asks Mr. Arnstein. He says, no, till today, I woke up with my back on the sand with all the ambulance people around me. They were administrating CPR, trying to get the water out of me. My mother was yelling and screaming and crying, and she swore never to take me back to that place again because she almost lost me. I almost drowned in the ocean. He says, yeah, that's true. But do you know what really happened? He says, no. The rabbi says, now I'm going to tell you the story that happened to you at 11 years old. 50 years later, I'm going to tell you the truth. When you went into that ocean, You started to go out, and you went out too far. The lifeguards couldn't even see you. And suddenly there was that undertow at the bottom of the ocean that grabbed your leg and pulled you down. And it pulled you all the way down, and you began to drown. And just then, in Shamaim, they opened the case on if this 11-year-old Arnstein boy is going to live or not, or is he going to drown on the spot. And it wasn't looking good. And you were going to drown at that minute. And then suddenly the doors of Bedin opens in heaven and they bring in a book. And they open the book. And ladies, you're going to learn something today. An amazing concept that I learned from this rabbi, Reb Nisim Oyal, a concept that's called paying forward. Paying forward means that they're willing to pay you now for something that you're only going to be destined to do later on in life. And even though you didn't do it yet, we'll give you the credit up front in order to bail you out for the now, thanks to what you're going to do tomorrow. 
they opened up the book and they started to look and see. One second, this 11-year-old kid, what is he destined to do good in life in the future when he grows up? If we could find some major zechut that he's willing to do later on, then we're already we're willing to save him now. And they started going through and they saw he's going to help this yeshiva and he's going to do this and he's going to do that. And he says, you know what one of those things were? That you were going to donate the school bus to my yeshiva. At that minute, Shamayim Paskin, that you're going to live out of nowhere, you broke out of that undertow and a wave literally washed you on your back, unconscious, on the sand. Till your mother saw you, she began screaming and yelling. The lifeguards came, they called the ambulances, and they revived you. He leans forward and he says, Mr. Arnstein, now I want to ask you again. Do you want to give that school bus to the yeshiva or not? He says, Rabbi, I'm going to give a school bus. I'm going to give a new school bus, not a used school bus. And he got a new school bus for the cheder, for the little, the yeshiva, over there in Kiryat Gat. This is a concept called grab as many mitzvot and as many schuyot as you can because you never know one day what that may pay forward. And this rabbi taught me this. And I went out there to see him five years ago. And I sat in front of Nisim Moyal and he gave us all the berachot and he told me, I just started this yeshiva. I need help. When you go back to America, speak to a few people. Maybe they can send some money to help me. And I said, Bezat Hashem, I will. And then I told the rabbi as I was leaving, I said, Rabbi, I have a Kabbalah from my Rebbe. We don't say goodbyes. We only give very warm hellos. I said, Rabbi, the next time I come to Eretz Yisrael, I'm going to come back to see you, and I'm going to give you the biggest hello. And I'm going to tell you what's going on with my shul and my guys. And you're going to tell me what's going on with your yeshiva and your kids and everything that we're trying to help you with. And he smiles and he says to me, Eziofi, but you're never going to see me again. I said, what? That's not the way the story is supposed to end. What do you mean? He says, you're not going to see me again. I said, Haraf. And he, I want to tell you something, ladies. I'm being recorded, so I'm holding back a lot of emotion here. But when he told me that, he scared the life out of me because that could mean either me or him. God forbid. <laughs> And I started saying, oh my gosh, oh no, I'm already, I'm already starting to do vidui on the table right there in front of him. You don't tell that to a person. He says, no, 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 he tells me, you'll be beset, don't worry. He says, but you're not going to see me again. I walked out, it was five years ago. Four years ago, I didn't go to Israel. But three years ago, with my father-in-law, he made a siyum hashas, and he took the whole family with them. That was my opportunity. But because I went with the whole family of my in-laws, so I became the chaperone of the entire family. So I spent the whole trip taking people around, and I never got that shot to go out to Kiryat Gat. Two years ago, when I went to Israel again, I said, this time I'm going to do it. And then a shamayim, the itinerary we wrote out, I double booked the same day that I had an appointment to see Harav Moyal in Kiryat Gat, was the same day, in the t- same time slot, that somehow I had the appointment to see Reb Chaim Kanievsky in Bnei Brak. And there was something very heavy I needed to speak to Reb Chaim Kanievsky about in the community, and I had to go to him over him. So I didn't get to see him last year. So this year, when me and my kids wrote up this itinerary two weeks ago, 
the first thing on that first day was Reb Nisim Moyal and Kiryat. I still have the paper. So we land Sunday. We grab the rent-a-car, come to Jerusalem, get into the hotel, go out to eat, go to the hotel, go under the tunnels, stand by the Kodesh Kodashim. I cry my eyes out. Ah, what a night. The next morning, I call up. I call up the Gabay of Rebni Simoyal in Kiryat Gat. I said, Mashlom Cha Shlomi. Medaber David Ben Shusham, Brooklyn, New York. And I hear, usually the guy's like a real, you know, like a pumper guy. I hear his voice is like, ah, Shalom. I'm thinking, oh boy, maybe I didn't send enough money. I said, Shlomi, everything okay? He says, no. I said, Shlomi, I want to come to see the rabbi today. For years I was trying to come. Every... He says, you can't see him. I said, why not? He says, if you want, you can come carry him. The rabbi passed away last night, middle of the night. You can't see him. Ay, 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 what type of people they have. I didn't end up seeing the rabbi. I ended up carrying him. This is what Eretz Yisrael is about. It's a place that runs on different vibes. It's a place that has such people to learn from that are living a life that's so close to Hashem. We need a zechut to go to Eretz Yisrael. We need a zechut to be a part of this. And even if we're not ready to move, it's okay. No one's pushing anything on anybody. But any opportunity you get to visit, understand you are on the invite list. You need to be on the invitation list. You need a zechut to go. And when you're there, grab up every minute. That recharges. You know what your cell phone looks like when the red battery flash is flashing? The battery is about to go out on you? We live in America with that battery flashing red. We live distracted with all our toys and all our shtuyot and our quest and the rat race and everything that's going on. It's so good to break away and go on a vacation that when you come back, you feel full rather than empty. You have the opportunity. Go and reconnect with Hashem. Get that spiritual shot in the arm. Come home with a great Kiddushah. You feel it that it's living in us. And Bezat Hashem, maybe we could be lucky enough not only to be on the guest list of Israel, but on the guest list of the current coming of Mashiach Tzitkenu B'mera Amen.